turn also to the book of 1 Corinthians, it's page 554 if you're using your pew Bible. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you have not figured out, uh, this sermon on effectual calling is a topical sermon, right? topical sermon. We're, look, we're looking at one verse from 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. May we go to our God in prayer and ask for his blessings on the reading and also the preaching of his holy word. Our Lord God, we thank you, Father, for your great mercy to us in your Son, Jesus Christ. We acknowledge, Father, that you indeed are faithful. You're faithful to your promises. You're faithful to the plan of salvation that you have set. That you are calling your beloved to faith and repentance. That you are protecting your children. That we might persevere in faith. And that in due time, we might be glorified. Father, we acknowledge that you have not left us as orphans, that you've given us of your Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance in heaven. Father, we pray that you would guard us from the lies and deception of the evil one. He desires that we would consider ourselves forsaken and forgotten. But Father, you desire that we would persevere, that the things of this world we must let go of. We cannot take it with us. And that you shower your love and your riches upon us. Not in the material blessings, but in the things that are priceless. That you are the one who gives the gift of faith. That you are the one who protects from the evil one. That you are the one who opens the eyes of the blind. Father, that you are the one who gives new hearts to sinners who are dead. We thank you for your provision for us. We pray even as we think and learn about effectual calling. That it is you who does the mighty work. And it is you who deserves all glory, honor, and praise. We pray, Father, that your Son, Jesus Christ, be exalted. And that your servant will be humbled. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Children, I have a question for you. Why is it that the people who hear the gospel of them, not all of them believe? What is the difference about the people who trust in Jesus Christ? Are they more intelligent? Are they wiser? Are they holier than those who do not respond in faith and repentance? Perhaps we can even ask the question, why don't more people become Christians? If you look at other countries, for example, China, I don't know if the rule is still there, but at least they had in the past, that they forbade Parents to bring their children to the church and to give them instruction from the Word of God, at least not until they're 18. Uh, because they're probably thinking, hey, this religion is a matter of inculcation. If you inculcate these children in these ways, then uh, they're like robots, they're going to keep doing it. Now, we wouldn't think that. But it is very important because God uses means, He uses the means of the Word. And that they of all people, children of all people, children within Christ's church, within a Christian home, ought to be able to receive that word. 
But ultimately we'll see, even as we think through and study what the scriptures teach about effectual calling, that it's not because people are wiser or more intelligent or holier. At the end of the day, there's no difference between the people. The difference is the mighty work of God through the Holy Spirit. And we, if anything, should be humbled when we come to learn about God's mighty work of salvation in your life. We think about this book of 1 Corinthians. That Corinth was a city located on this narrow isthmus. Uh, You think about an isthmus. Isthmus is a a strip of land surrounded by water on two sides, right? On two sides. So this narrow isthmus, okay, um, four miles wide, and there's two seaports on either side. And it was common to, uh, to... for smaller boats to, to be dragged along between those two seaports. You can imagine having two seaports that close. You think about our, our eastern coast, our western coast, the seaports is where all the trade comes in. So it's not surprising that Corinth was an exceedingly wealthy city. And it was known for its wealth and also its licentiousness. The Greeks had a saying, to live like a Corinthian, meant to live the life of immorality. It was a Roman colony. It was a major center for trade and business and entrepreneurs and all kinds of hucksters flocked to the city. At Corinth, there was also a religious center. You have some idea about the Greek religion. Uh, What you believe about your God or your gods affects how you live. So knowing the character of our God affects how we live. Knowing the character of their gods affected how they lived. And in Corinth, on a large hill, stood the temple of Aphrodite, who is the goddess of love. And perhaps that's a euphemism, goddess of love or the goddess of of desire and of sex. This temple had over a thousand cult prostitutes who would descend from the temple each evening to prey upon citizens and travelers in Corinth. You can imagine what kind of negative effect it would have on these people. This is why when we read through the book of First and Second Corinthians, right? here's the Apostle Paul dealing with people, first century, new, new Christians, new generation Christians, right? Who, who didn't have the training of generations of Christianity for them. Dealing with issues, questions that they had. Hey, wait a minute. Uh, are, can we as Christians attend this temple worship of false idols where there is this cult prostitution and idolatry? There was also a temple of Apollo. Temple of Apollo was dedicated to male beauty and virility. And there's no surprise with that that Corinth was also a major center for homosexual activity. And you ask yourselves, you ask yourselves, how can a Christian become a Christian and be called out of that? If you're asking that question, we need to be asking the question, can God give life to sinners who are dead? He did it then. He does it today. And we must be those who believe that there's no city, there's no such place, there's no such person who's outside the reach of our God. One of the best chapters of the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 
He names all these sins, all these categories of sin. We talked about the hucksters. So there were those who were drunkards, who were greedy, who were swindlers. There were uh, homosexuals, adulterers, idolaters, sexually immoral. Then he says this one thing, and such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So here, the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, I believe that this is what some of you were. But you know what? He called you out of that. And part of growth in Jesus Christ is letting go of our past. Embracing new life. Embracing the holiness to which he has called us to. Embracing the fellowship with Jesus Christ that he has called us to. So the truth that we see in this passage is that God's sovereign work of effectual calling enables his elect to embrace the gospel call with repentance, faith, and obedience. God's sovereign work of effectual calling enables his elect to embrace the gospel call with repentance, faith, and obedience. We'll look at this in four points. The first is the origins of effectual calling. So this answers the question, who called? God calls. Second, the context of effectual calling. What are we called from? Third, the means of effectual calling, or uh, we're, we're called by what, or by what means. And fourth, the goal of effectual calling is what are we called to. So this first point, the origins of effectual calling. So God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So it is God who calls. God is the one who calls us. Think for a moment, a scene from the Bible. You're going to get two different scenes. Uh, they're one and the same. It, it, there's not a real difference between them. Uh, Acts chapter 17. <clears throat> Here Paul is in the city of Athens. We want to talk about Gentiles. There's no more Gentile than being in Athens. Because Gentile and Greek are synonymous. They're one and the same. Because the Greeks were not Jews. And of all places, Athens was the, the center of philosophy, of culture. And there, the Apostle Paul saw all these idols being worshipped. And he sees this one called the unknown God. And, and then he starts preaching in the marketplace. And then he tells them <clears throat> that God has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. And that he has proven, or he has demonstrated, by raising one from the dead. And that because of that, all people everywhere should repent. And you can imagine, the Greeks, they don't believe in this resurrection from the dead. So some began to sneer, huh, what are you talking about? Resurrection from the dead. And, and we're told that two people, <clears throat> Damaris and the other one, I can't remember right now, the Areopagite. But there were two people out of all those who believed. So some sneered, and some said, hey, you know what, we'll hear again about this, as in like, hey, I'll save that for another day. But there were two who believed. Then you have the other account is that of Jesus, John chapter 6. So the difference is you had the Apostle Paul preaching, and then John chapter 6, you had the greatest preacher who ever was and ever will be. You have Jesus himself preaching, John chapter 6. And he gives them a hard teaching. You must eat my flesh and drink my blood, and all, all these other things. And, and we're told that uh, he, 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 really, he really lost the favor of the crowd there, so to say. He could, have, he could have built a huge mega church. What was he thinking of all things, this Jesus man? Well, he's God. And then they were left his apostles, right? And 
The other people were saying, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And he, he actually asks his disciples, there's 12 remaining, hey, you don't want to go also, do you? As in, as in, again, here, is he trying to build a church or what? He's asking, do you want to go also? And their words to him, their words to him were golden. To whom shall we go? You have the very words of eternal life. So we ask yourself, why did this happen? What was wrong with the other people? Or rather, what was wrong with the people who remained? And the answer to this is effectual calling. The difference was not in those who heard and believed. Or it wasn't with something inherent in them. It wasn't that they were in any way better. It had everything to do with what God was doing. Last week we looked at the order of salvation. That uh, two weeks ago, we began, perhaps some people might say, hey Frank, this is a little bit of an odd order. Well, it's odd only in the sense that what we see, the tip of the iceberg, right, is the gospel call. So people often are encountered, hey, I, I heard the gospel preached. Someone was preaching the good news of the gospel, and I was listening to it, and then I believed it. And that's what I understood about salvation is, is what we witness is the gospel call going forward. And then last week we talked about the order of salvation, that there is far more happening than just what we see. We just see the tip of the iceberg. There's this big iceberg underneath the surface of the water. And that's what God has planned. That's what God has done. The scriptural basis, Romans chapter 8, verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So that God is one who knows his people in advance. It's not he knows some fact. It's not he knows some decision. He knows people. He has an intimate knowledge. And it's not as if he sees anything good in us. No, it's not that. He, he sees the same in all of us. That we're by nature children of wrath. But rather, he has an intimate knowledge. He, he made a plan. That's the predestination part. He made this grand plan. And that he is faithful to carry out this plan. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, God is faithful. God is faithful. And the emphasis here in this one verse, the, the word that starts the sentence is actually faithful. Faithful is God. Right? In, in, in Greek, you have these different case endings. So you can switch word orders around. We, we can't do that in English. We have... Uh, subject, right, object, it, it goes in a certain order. They can flip things around. It's not a big deal. And they can do that for emphasis. Difference in their language. So the, the emphasis was on faithful. God is faithful. <clears throat> and by this we mean that God is truthful or he's trustworthy to his promises. He makes promises. Exceedingly great promises. He makes these covenants. And he gives us his word. And God never lies. Meaning that he's always truthful. He's always trustworthy in what he has told us. Now, regarding his faithfulness, certain people will ask certain questions when they see things going wrong. Romans chapter 3, verses 3 to 4. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar. As it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. So here, the Apostle Paul 
in the book of Romans is talking about how God deals with these Jews. And they had certain advantages. They were entrusted with the oracles of God. But then some people start asking, wait a minute, but most of these Jews, uh, they didn't believe. So does that mean God's promises failed? And the apostle Paul says, no, no, you're going the wrong direction here. There was nothing wrong with God's promises. They were sure. These people were those who did not believe. They were the ones who rejected God. They were the ones who were faithless. Stated another way, in 2 Timothy 2, verses 11 through 13, the saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we'll also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And God's promises are sure. There's two sides of his promises. Promises of blessing for those who believe, but there's also promises of judgment for those who do not. So part of his faithfulness is that he's faithful both to his blessings, he's also faithful to his curses. There's a great, great quote from William Hendrickson. But the God who is faithful to his promises is also faithful to his threats. Divine faithfulness is a priceless comfort for the faithful. An earnest warning for those in danger of becoming unfaithful. And a harbinger of doom for those who continue to be untrustworthy. So here, God's faithfulness for those who are trusting in the Lord. That it's a comfort for you. For those of you who are on that hairy edge and about to fall off, like the back of the truck, that it's an earnest warning not to become unfaithful. And for those who are pretenders all along, it's a harbinger of doom. Meaning that we think we can fool men, but we cannot fool God. He sees right through. So God is faithful. But remember that the one who calls us is not a plan. The one who calls us is a person. It's the Almighty God. God is faithful by whom you were called. God is the one who calls sinners to faith and repentance, to believe upon Jesus Christ. You realize that answering God's call requires the rejection of another call. That Jesus, in John chapter 8 speaks to these Pharisees and they're obviously in a disagreement. There, there's an argument going on and he eventually says to him, you are of your father, the devil. So there's only two loyalties. Either one by nature has a loyalty to Satan. They're answering his call all the time. And that call is the bondage. It's the destruction. It's damnation. The result, Satan delights when we believe his lies, and eventually the end result is that we're damned just like him. That's, that's, what he, that's what he wants. He's happy with that. So he calls to us and says, hey, don't believe those promises. No one else believes them. They're stupid. Only stupid people follow the Lord Jesus. And many people say, oh, I don't want to be stupid. I want to be accepted by the crowd. So they continue on to damnation. But here, God is the one who calls people. He calls us to eternal life in Jesus Christ. And he commands us that we might repent and believe upon Jesus Christ and receive the forgiveness of sins. So this is the first point, the origins of effectual calling. 
A second point, the context of effectual calling. So this answers the question, from what are we called? And how then does God find his people before effectual calling? And here, we ought to say, we ought not to expect much. We ought not to expect much. You think back, I recall that uh, you think, think about young men before they got married, right? Perhaps you remember yourself. And, uh, you know, oftentimes you're saying, hey, when is the Lord going to provide me that bride? And the answer to those young men is, hey, why don't you focus on preparing yourself, right? And making sure that you are the right man. Be the godly man. Be the faithful, honest man. Be the diligent man. Be the trustworthy man. Be the holy man. Prepare yourself. And at times you might say, well, for these young men, before they met their bride, uh, you ought not to expect much. In the sense that, hey, he didn't dress well. Well, I still don't dress well. And, and then you have various things. Hey, you know, they're, they're not so polished. Well, before we came to know Christ, we can say we cannot expect much at all. We were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But we were all lost in Adam. This is, this is the big question. Hey, God, why didn't you eventually call everyone? The question might be asked. Hey, what about my grandmother in, in, in China? Huh? Or, or what about my relatives oh, that never got the privilege of the gospel? Well... We ought to be asking a different question. Well, why did God effectually call anyone at all? Right? Hey, how, how can we claim, hey, you, 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 you need to do this. Instead, we ought to be thinking, you didn't need to do anything. You, you didn't need to save any one of us. And the fact that you saved even one is gracious. It's the good news of the gospel. No, 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 one, no one's entitled to the gospel. No one's entitled to salvation. No one's entitled to heaven. And when we start thinking that way, then it starts to become clear. We see how bad the bad news all were lost in Adam. Every single one of us was lost in Adam. We were by nature, we're exactly the same. Children of wrath. We ask, well, why, why is there even the need for God's effectual calling? The answer is because of total depravity. Because of total depravity, right, there is the need for God effectually to call. Total depravity affects us in many ways. Darkened in understanding. And we're told that man's heart, outside the work of the Holy Spirit, that his, his heart is dark. That man suppresses the truth and unrighteousness. <clears throat> when you think about the preaching of, God, of, the, of the gospel, it, it never goes in one ear and out the other. It has some effect. Either it's going to harden the person, they're going to hear it, and they're going to be hardened by it. They're going to despise it. Or they're going to love it. Two polar responses. Generally people don't just in one ear out the other. So men are darkened on their standard. They're going to hear that and say, well, you see, that's for the weak. That there's a hardened conscience. There's a hardened conscience regarding how we live. We justify our decisions and our sinful choices. That God calls his people out of darkness. That is what we are outside of Christ. We're dark. It's darkness. We're under his wrath and his curse. And the context then is that you have people who are undeserving. That is what we are. 
if we could come to admit anything regarding effectual calling, is that we are undeserving of God's grace. We understand grace. Grace is being given that which is unmerited. Then, by definition, grace cannot be demanded or it cannot be required of God. The context of effectual calling is God meets his people in their darkness, in their sin, right, in our sin, and that we are under God's wrath and curse. That when Adam sinned, there were curses involved, and that God is the one who frees us from the wrath to come. He frees us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So this is the context of effectual calling. We have then the means of effectual calling. The two means. The first means is the means of the gospel call. That through the means of the word. And it's the word in general, but it's the word read. And it's also the word preached. Primarily the word preached. Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 17. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they, all, but, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. This is essential, the preaching of the good news of the gospel, so that sinners might be saved. But the gospel call is indiscriminate. It, it goes out generally, so that many people hear it. But there's also the principle that many are called, but few are chosen, meaning that the gospel goes out indiscriminately, but how many actually believe it? How many actually repent and believe upon Jesus Christ? So the means of the gospel call, there's also the means of the Holy Spirit's working. <clears throat> and the description that we have in the scriptures about this Holy Spirit's working, we have in Acts chapter 16, verse 14. A woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. So, so this is a biblical description that Paul was teaching and preaching and, and then this woman, uh, Lydia, was there and the Holy Spirit uses the description of he opened, the Lord opened her heart as if the heart were closed, uh, the heart were stone, uh, Ezekiel 36, uh, the, the heart of stone is removed and, and the man is given a heart of flesh. You think about the transformation that goes on. Earlier we talked about we're, we're effectually called from what? And that's from a darkened mind. And we talk about here that the means that God uses, the opening of the heart, the renewal of the mind, that God transforms the way that we think. Romans 2.12, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. There's a renewing of our thought process. So it happens as easily as this. <clears throat> you talk to your friends. What do you want to do with your life? Oh, I want to make a whole ton of money. I want to get rich. And I want to be happy. Well, we think about 
the goals that we have begins from our hearts, our minds, something, something like that. And, and here, part of the transforming of our minds is that we say, wait a, wait a minute, should I, should I have that same goal? As a Christian, is it right for me to have those same goals? I want to get rich, and uh, you know, I want to buy this big house, and, uh, and then I want to be happy, and, and I, I die wealthy with you know, grandkids and great-grandkids, and, and I get to retire doing all the fun things I want to do. Well, part of God's renewing of the mind is that we start to think about, instead of what we want, we think about what God wants for us. And that becomes what's more important. There's also the rendering or the submission of the will. Think about our wills. You realize when two people disagree, right, there's oftentimes a difference of will. Dealing with disobedient children, right? So uh, you realize that you come to a greater understanding about our Heavenly Father after you yourselves become a parent, a mother or a father, and you have to deal with disobedient children because then you have this illustration of, wow, I am just like my son and my daughter. When, when the will is unbroken, this is, how, this is what God has to deal with in me. I'm no different except that I'm, I'm 30, 35, 40 years older. And, and here, God is one who breaks our wills. He renews our will. He transforms our wills. And that is seen in that once when we were disobedient to God's word, we now love his word. We desire to obey him. We obey him freely. This is what we read in, in Psalm 110, verse 3, that your people will volunteer freely. On the day of God's power. That when once we said not in a million years. It becomes yes. Right now Lord I will do it. Think also about the nature of the Holy Spirit's calling. This effectual call is a gracious call. Meaning no one earns it. No one can demand it. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves is the gift of God. But this call is gracious. It's kind. It's generous of God to call us to eternal life, to the forgiveness of sins. No one deserves it. No one has a claim to it. It's also a personal call. The gospel call is indiscriminate. It goes out generally. But the effectual call is personal. Think about what Jesus said. John chapter 10. He's the good shepherd. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. The effectual call. He's calling you by name. And what happens in that is that the one who was once a sinner darkened in understanding... Every ounce of his being rejects, rejects Jesus Christ. This effectual calling. The person then says, wow, I recognize that voice. That's the voice of my master. He's calling me to come. It's as if you have someone who you know, had, had parents. So in the womb, they're hearing the voice. When people talk about this. Well, the father's voice to the children in the womb. And then when they come out, ah, 
they can, they can hear you know, through the sound waves, through the vibrations. Oh, that's my father. I recognize his voice. So also, Jesus, the good shepherd, calls his people by name. He calls by name and recognizes his voice. It is a holy calling. It's a holy calling. Calling out of darkness, out of the bondage of sin. And it's a holy calling. 2 Timothy 1.9 Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. He calls us as something far better, far higher. And it is a rare call. It is a rare call. Many are called, but few are chosen. Many people will profess faith in Jesus Christ. Many people on that last day, Jesus says, Hey, didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we prophesy in your name? And then Jesus makes the statement, I never knew you. I never knew you. Away from me, you workers of lawlessness. It's a rare call. Many are called, few are chosen. So this means expect misunderstanding. Expect that people will not understand your faith in Jesus Christ. The decisions that you make. People ridicule you, right? They're going to misrepresent you. Well, he actually believes this. Well, no, when did I ever say that? No, no, but this is what you meant. So, well, wow, you, you've become the perfect interpreter of my views, right? People will ridicule you. Are they going to laugh at you? Right? So this is a rare call. Expect that people won't understand it. So that's the third point. The means of effectual call. And we have the goal of effectual calling. What you're called to. What you're called to. In our verse there, 1 Corinthians 1.9, we're told that we're called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. You realize that the gospel is not merely about believing certain facts of history or certain truths in the Bible. It's far more than that. It is that. It's at least that. It must be far greater than that. It's a call to a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's called to a relationship with Jesus Christ. That you might know Him and the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His sufferings. When we think about the day in, day out, the difficulties of life, you think about how much our, prides, our pride is hurt. Oh, well, I didn't measure up here. And, and you think about, well, wait a minute. I'm being rejected by people. I'm being criticized by people all around. People don't like me. And, and then that causes us to be put in this situation as, wait, wait a minute, I, I need to be doing things so that I'm liked and accepted. But then I, you realize that you, you can't please everyone. And, and the wrong conclusion is, you can't please everyone, so just please yourself. Right? There's, that, there's that song, just please yourself. No, no, we ought to please the Lord Jesus. That we're called to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And He is our Master. And then we think ahead to, at the end of our lives, after we die, we will be at a judgment seat. And that judge is Jesus. And then He will, he will announce a verdict. 
it will be justified by my blood, is the verdict, or condemned by the highest judge in heaven and earth. No appeals. Uh, there is no delay. Judgment comes. But we're looking to please the one who says, justified by my blood. No one overrules him. No one questions him. He's, he's the only verdict. He's the only ruling that matters for eternity. And this God of ours calls us into fellowship with his son. Have you ever wondered? Sometimes you have these famous people, whether it be Warren Buffett or these, uh, these financial gurus or you, know, you think about these sports stars where they might do a fundraiser and say, hey, you, you, a million bucks right, or something, you, you put your name in the lottery and, and you get a training day with this great athlete or you, you get to, to have lunch with Warren Buffett. Here is the greatest person that there ever was. Jesus Christ. And in the good news of the gospel, we're being told that you are called into fellowship with God's Son, Jesus Christ. What greater privilege is there in life than that? There is no greater privilege. There's no greater person. There's no greater God. Have fellowship with His Son. Embrace the promises of the gospel. Trust in Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins. Here, God calls you to eternal life. The effectual call is a call to eternal life. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. And you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. If you reject it, it means death. But in, her, in the effectual call, it is a call to eternal life. It's that which is good. But this call is a call for the, not for the purposes of impurity, but it's a call to holiness. That you would leave a life, a life no longer worth living, to a life that's worth living, that you and I would walk in holiness according to the truth. That God calls you into his own kingdom and glory so that we might walk in a manner worthy of God. He calls us into his own kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus Christ. He calls us to glory that when Jesus died and rose again, we're told that the glory that he had, he had greater glory after he humbled himself even to the point of death and he was raised to life, that he was made perfect in suffering. How he who is perfect can be perfected even more, we don't fully understand. But here we're told that he has greater glory. And Jesus living and dying with this glory, he, he actually says that he shares this glory with us. That we are heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. His effectual calling is that he, he's going to share his glory with us. You, you mean me who didn't deserve that glory? Yes. That's the good news of the gospel, is that you who did not earn this glory get to share in this glory. God calls you upward or heavenward in Jesus Christ. That God is preparing you for heaven. That he calls us upward. He doesn't call us downward. He calls us to improve. He calls us to trust in him. He freely gives us heaven. You and I who are undeserving. He also calls us to peace. 1 Corinthians 
Paul describes the situation. Well, what about this unbelieving spouse? Unbelieving spouse wants to leave this believing spouse. And, and here he says, hey, you know what? You can't force someone to stay. If they're intent on leaving you, what can you do? Right? You, you can't force them to stay. I mean, and he says, and God calls us to peace. Meaning that before meeting Jesus Christ, in our lives we can understand that there's no peace. Not having peace with God without Jesus Christ, we won't have peace with other people. But here, God is the one who grants us this true peace. This is why in our own hearts we can have peace. There may not always be peace around us, but what God gives us is peace within. And we can only have that peace within if we have peace with God. That only comes through Jesus Christ. God also calls you to hope. You know, one of the saddest things is to see people when they've lost all hope. Now I think about previous generations, other places. I'm talking to my friends who grew up on other continents. They, they share with me, hey, where I came from, we don't have this problem of, of uh, taking one's life. Right? There's mental health there, right? Because, hey, there might be some expression of, hey, people deal with grief differently. They bottle it up here, right? And they eventually get on the little yellow pill, you know, mother's little helper, whatever it might be, right? But when people give up hope, and they say, we need to leave. You think about how the group that it hits the hardest are these young people, ages 18 to, to 30. I had to go to a, a call one time as a chaplain and I go into this basement and I see this young man lying on the ground he had strangled himself it's an example of someone who's lost hope right someone who's lost hope but you realize that in the gospel of Jesus Christ he calls us to true hope that those of us who have lost hope in what we do and who we are he gives us true hope in Jesus Christ. There's a big difference. Having faith means that you must have hope. And that calling us to faith in Jesus Christ means that God grants us hope that we might continue. We think about some of the things that we can learn from this effectual calling. There's something far greater in the Christian life than just knowledge. I call these the mirrors. It's not mere knowledge of the scriptures or of theology. The purpose of an effectual calling, we mentioned here all those goals, is not merely that you would have knowledge, some secret knowledge. It's not merely morality. So morality and proper knowledge, the right jargon, that it's not a sure sign that someone is effectually called. Because when you look at, we look at the Pharisees, back then they had all the right jargon. They were in the right circles. They wore the right clothes. They said the right things. They got the right greetings. So we go back to that opening question. What is the difference between those effectually called and those not? I hope you walk away with this truth. There's nothing different between, there's nothing different between the two. They're the same, children of wrath by nature. The difference has everything to do with God's mighty work. The work of the Holy Spirit that transforms us. And that you and I might conclude, it is because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus. It is not because of me. It's not because of you that you are in Christ Jesus. And when you and I come to that conclusion, 
then we will say, then glory be to God. Glory be to God. That it's because of Him that He calls sinners to faith and repentance. It's a personal call to you by name. And that you and I would say, this is a call that we cannot reject. Been called by name. Think about all the good things that He offers you that the world cannot fulfill. It is only in the gospel of Jesus Christ that you and I might know eternal life, fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ. So embrace Jesus Christ for your life. Trust that He is the one who begins a good work and He carries it on to completion. May we go to our God together in prayer.